Uh, we're honored to have Merle Code on to on Iron Sports. Merle has a book out called Black Market. I'm holding it up right here. I don't even have the cover because I've been reading it so much, but it really is could be one of the most seminal books on college basketball. Merle's experiences through the last two decades of I mean, as a player, uh, he provides the insight that I don't think's ever been brought before. I was thinking of Jose Canseco when he wrote Juiced, and people like laughed at the book a little bit, and now it's considered the number one book about the whole steroid air. So I hope that in like 10, 15 years, they will be referring to Black Market as one of these great books that actually showed everything that was happening in college basketball. Merle, thanks so much for coming on Iron Sports. Thank you for having me. So Merle, and I also encourage people to buy this book. This is not just about the basketball scandals and those things. Merle we're working at works at Nike and Adidas. And if you read the book, it's like a who's who of meeting LeBron and Giannis and working with these players and Kevin Durant, everything. It's just amazing. And from a reading, I just love the book. I encourage everyone to buy it. But uh, Merle, so your background is you're from Clemson, you're from South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, your grandfather played in the Black Leagues. He was uh, a Michigan graduate, a principal. Your dad was a star football player. Uh, just had a great background there in Greenville. Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate to have had um, parents and grandparents on my mother and father's side who were athletes and who uh, stressed education. And, and more importantly, stressed being um, a good person and being humanistic and understanding people's needs and trying to be a person of the community and being willing to help, even if it means upsetting some folks sometimes, you do what's right by people. And you grew up, you love playing basketball, of course. And, and you talked about just playing the whole South Carolina. I mean, we think about South Carolina as a hotbed of basketball, but you mentioned Zion, John Morant, some, some, and Chris Middleton, and Kevin Garnett's also from South Carolina. Yeah, and, it, and it's, but it's interesting because guys like Ray Allen aren't, aren't, you know, are also South Carolina natives. And so Jermaine O'Neal is a South Carolina native. I mean, I can go on and on and on with guys who come out of this state who were really, really good players. Um, but during the era when I was coming out of school, we weren't known as a hotbed for basketball, right? It was more of a, a football state. It still is considered predominantly a football state. And so the opportunities uh, to be seen by higher level schools were minimized at that time for, for the majority of the kids who were, who were talented enough to go on and play at higher level schools. Uh, and, and so some of us had to take the long route. I ended up having to go to prep school. I went to Fort Union Military Academy. Um, and, and so along with, uh, and, and then behind me, Shimon Williams, ended up going to Fort Union Military Academy as well. So there are guys who took that route um, to, to further their careers and be, be more visible on the national stage to prove that we could play. Because again, at, those, at that time, South Carolina wasn't known as a basketball uh, destination for and then you talk about your choice to go to Clemson and you as a, as a player, you experience some things that, that gives you insight into when you're helping other players and working with other players. You know, you were promised you're going to be the starting guard at Clemson and then they bring another guy in and then you have a change of coaches, you had injury. You really cover the whole gamut of everything happening to you at Clemson. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's part of the story. And I think that what, what people who are very uh, well versed in the space, you know, people have a lot of opinions and that's fine. Um, but when you have experience and an opinion, it brings on a different level of understanding. Um, and so I, I think that um, the book is, is an attempt to show the trials and tribulations that not just me, but all a lot of athletes face. I mean, you've got guys now who, 
people, they lose a big football game, they're facing death threats. <laughs> and so I think the, the realities that, that exist in terms of the pressures of winning and losing and the, re, and the realities of what kind of business this is, um, the facade of amateurism and the facade of the NCAA and the facade of this being about education um, needs to be exposed and discussed at a greater length. And there needs to be some, some legislation at the federal level um, to, to stop this and allow these, if we're truly a capitalistic society, then allow these kids to earn monies without a cap. You don't cap these schools. You don't cap these coaches. You don't you don't cap marketing marketing and licensing agreements. You don't cap any of that stuff. But now all of a sudden you want to cap a kid because he's got some earning potential. And typically that affects those black kids in, in, in football and basketball. Right. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, in terms of if he was a, an engineer or a, or someone like that with a skill level, no one's saying that, or even a musician, you know, if they played right. an instrument, no one's saying, you, you see all these star musicians, whether 15, 16 years old, no one's saying, you know, anything about them. No. And again, it's back to the point of it really just focuses on typically black kids. And again, it's not to, to say that white kids and, and, and Hispanic kids aren't affected because they are, but it's predominantly a black uh, a conversation when we talk about football and basketball at the higher uh, higher levels of play in terms of where the, the, the most money is generated. And so, yeah, if a kid is, is, is an engineering major, if he's a, if he's uh, got an internship, they don't cap his ability to, to earn for that internship. If he wants to transfer schools, he doesn't have to sit out a year. Why is that? Why are the rules different for these black kids who are earning these schools money um, and then million in term tune of billions of dollars uh, when when others aren't held to the same standard. Right. You know, the, I loved how you, I've read so many stories on this. I think how you talked about, and for people in our show, we have a lot of people who listen to my show that don't, you know, follow college basketball so much. They might follow the NBA. But you gave a good history on, like, why are shoes so important? I loved reading that about when Naismith started the game, he had basketball shoes in three years, and you talked about Chuck Taylor. Uh, just a little background about the whole, where did this whole shoe thing and the shoe wars from the different companies begin with, and, and, and over the years, what's happened? Yeah, I mean, it, it really kind of hit a hit a boom, uh, kind of that late 80s, early 90s kind of market um, when you started having, and Son, Sonny Vaccaro was probably the first guy of record to start signing coaches to deals for shoe companies. Um, and so basically now the, the school is beholden to this shoe company, um, and so are the kids on these teams without any say so themselves. They just have to do it because the coach is making money. Um, so, if a, you know, if, 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 a, if a shoe company has a deal with the coach, then all of those 15 players, managers, everybody else is now beholden to that shoe company because the coach has a deal. And again, it gets back into me having a conversation about indentured servitude. These kids have no say in terms of what they what, what products they're allowed to sponsor or wear. They're free advertising for somebody because somebody else made the decision for them. And that's the part of this business that, again, that's one of the points of the business that I discuss in the book that needs to be challenged and, 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 and changed. And so you see the, the migration from a basketball program being with one shoe company and a football team at the same school being with a different company to now these all-school deals where you have two and $300 million deals. There's a reason for that. The reasoning is it's free advertising. It's more money. It's more marketing dollars. It's more advertising dollars. It's more access to those players when they turn professional, so they can become global icons. Uh, hopefully, 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about everybody making money except for those kids who are wearing the product. Yeah, and you mentioned like if Adidas has a shoe deal with Louisville, you know, they want the best players to go to Louisville. They don't want them to go to a school that is all with Nike. So that the right. point is that what, of course they want the better players. They're giving Louisville the hundreds of millions of dollars. They want Louisville to win. More people see their shoes. It's just natural yes. to think that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the relationship that exists. That unfortunately, we you know, because this is this turned into a criminal matter, uh, we weren't able to put that in front of a jury. Uh, um, and, and so you get, hand, you get handcuffed because now you realize the corporate powers that be and the judicial system work hand in hand and they don't they don't really want their, their dirty secrets exposed. And so we'll be the scapegoats because we'll be we'll be the villains when when they're the ones exploiting the kids. Your first job at Nike, when you left uh, playing basketball, you played in Europe for a couple of years and played in the, C- in the CBA. But your first b- basketball job was not so much with high school players. It was with college. You were head of the Nike Pro Division. So you got to work with LeBron and other players. You had to evaluate Carmelo Anthony. You came out a great year with Chris Bosh, Anthony, all these star players, and you worked in Chicago. That must have been great to work with all these pro athletes and pro NBA players and as your first job in the, in this, in the shoe business, per se. Yeah, well, I wasn't head. I mean, I was a I was a rep when I first started, and my job really was in the services space. So my job was really just to make sure that the guys that we were recruiting had product, um, and to to build a, a relationship with them. So when they turned pro, because at that time again, LeBron was in high school, Carmelo was um, uh, in high school, heading in, heading into his first year at Syracuse. Um, there were tons of other guys, but I really mainly worked with with uh, guys who were already under contract um, that were on NBA teams in the Midwestern region of the country get to make sure that they had everything they needed to practice and play in and that their families had all of it, the product. And then again, on the recruiting space to, to, to dive into those relationships. So yeah, it was an exciting time learning the business um, and especially coming off being a player and understanding kind of the mentality and the mindset of those guys um, helped me uh, navigate space a little bit. But not everybody, not every NBA player per se has a deal where they're making millions. You know, not everyone's LeBron getting tens of millions of dollars to, to wear their shoes. Some you say you just provide products for, some you provide a little bit of money for, but it's all different in terms of how good the player is, really. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, there certainly levels um, to, uh, there's a hierarchy, so to speak, in terms of the guys who will who will ascend to global iconic status um, versus a guy who's just kind of a journeyman making a roster and glad to be, you know, making making good money, but on an NBA team who's not going to really move the needle uh, from a marketing and a sales perspective. Your story about LeBron, about him, how he decided to go with Nike and not Adidas and, and Reebok at the time was just, I mean, I reread that a bunch of times. What a story. Uh, and you were involved in the middle of the whole thing, seeing what was going down. Yeah, I was around it. Um, again, I, I wasn't the point person um, dealing with LeBron. I was just around it. It was a, it was an educational uh, observationist kind of perspective. Um, you know, that was one of my first, um, I guess, entry points into into the space. And so, just kind of sitting, listening, watching, trying to soak it all in, not understanding. And then again, as 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 I kind of progress into a 15, 16, 17 year career in the, in the business, you, you, you gain perspective and start reflecting and understanding what, why, and how. And then another, what LeBron's current teammate, you were one of the first people to, to discover Anthony Davis when you were in, in the Chicago region, and, and he, he grew, I guess, what, seven inches in, in a summer, and he was yes. a player no one heard of, and you saw. Yeah. 
you know, seven to nine inches in that one in the one summer, and he was a he was a very good player as a as a guard. He was a probably a low low major to, to mid major Division one point guard. Um, and then he hits the growth spurt, and all of a sudden he's he's the number one player in the country. And it just you know, again, man, freakish things happen, and certainly you wanna uh, you wanna be able to, to to help that kid and his family. Uh, track through the waters that the, of, of, of the business and that's what we try to do and hopefully he, he he and his family know we've done what we were supposed to do and helping him get to get to uh the status that he's, he's he's reached and then your next job and you said you took it reluctantly was to work with the grassroots which the, directly with the high school high school players and you said you were offered jobs like with the spurs offered you a job to be gm a lot of your people that you grew up in with nike with are now gms in the league or had been gms in the league but you went into grass to grassroots basketball and that was just working with all the high school kids and 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 that's where the whole issue of going you know working with the college coaches that was happening yeah i mean that's that's a part of the business i mean that's that's what the grassroots job is. It's everything below the below the pro line, right? So you you are now thrown into the mix of dealing with thousands of people, right? In terms of uh, entire coaching staffs, um, athletic departments, you know, um, AAU programs. They're they're all of their age groups, all of their coaches, all of these kids' families, all of their high school coaches. So it just becomes this kind of whirlwind of people that you're now kind of thrown in the middle of and you're trying to navigate who's making decisions, where's the kid going to school, who's going to be his agent, who's going to be his financial advisor, what kind of shot do you have at signing him if he goes to a competitor school, you know, you have to kind of assess all those things um, in the process. So yeah, I took the job reluctantly, it wasn't something that I wanted to do, um, but again, me, me thinking I was being loyal to the people who, who brought me in was why I ultimately decided to take the job. We hear the term AAU all the time. If you are if you have a son or daughter that's in basketball, you probably live the whole life of AAU. But for people outside the world, it's not like they understand what the whole AAU is. I mean, they're like, wait, don't they just go to high school? Don't they? Don't their high school coaches the ones that have to make decisions? And you really set through in this book about how the high school coaches are totally out of the mix right now. It really is these AAU programs. And just describe a little like what goes on with the AAU and why they have so much well, power. So for clarification, um, AAU is really not what it is, right? AAU is this amateur athletic union, which is a business entity unto itself. The the the, the that's that's the generic term that people use for summer summer travel basketball. Um, and so I, I I use it, but I'm trying to explain that it's a difference between just AAU and shoe company sponsored teams, which are called travel teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. I just want to make that make that clarification, but yeah, there's 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 big business in the in the travel team space, and really what it is is it's the spring and summer months after the, the high school seasons have have completed. They take on a whole new season with a whole new team that is that is general generally based in the states or or adjacent state that they live in, um, and these kids travel all over the the country. Um, from sometimes late March through late July, early August on the dime of the shoe companies. And it's a competing um, business facts, uh, sector uh, for the three major shoe companies. And so everybody's trying to acquire the, the, the best talent that they possibly can. Um, and so then it gets into the business of how do you acquire these kids? Because now 
the parents are aware of of the jockeying for position so their their requests now increase <laughs> uh, and so now you got to figure out is the kid worth whatever the ask is from a parental or an AAU or even a high school coach because he may be influential on that kid's life um, it could be a sister it could be a cousin it could be a step parent and that's part of what makes the business difficult is you're trying to navigate who's actually um, pushing the buttons and who the kid is actually leaning on within his influential circle. So you, this, the shoe companies are working with the kids, trying to get them to go to their camps, and then you still have the colleges that are saying, now you the, in the mix with the colleges because the shoe company, and also you mentioned in the book, like I could talk to these kids all the time. These colleges, coaches have limits when they can talk to the kids. So you have a better relationship with these kids. I mean, when they're getting to the college, the, the, the coaches don't know who these kids are. You're the ones who've been working with them for four or five years, maybe. Right, and that's, that's what made the entirety of the case um, really... Uh, ridiculous because they were trying to make it sound like we were defrauding the schools when the schools were the ones leaning on us to assist them in the recruiting process they don't know the kids they have to utilize whatever avenues they can to gain an advantage in the recruiting space and that advantage again is through travel teams through the high school coach through the shoot shoot uh, uh, representatives uh, and so that's that's what that's how the business actually works uh, and so, again, that's what makes it really frustrating to, to have gone through uh, the process of going to, to the legal route when you're not allowed to, to, to really expose how this, how this really works because you're, you're handcuffed by what they will allow you to, to present. And then you mentioned in the book, it, it, even the coaches, like you were at Nike, when Billy Donovan's at Florida, he's complaining that you're pushing players to go to to uh, Kentucky instead of a Nike, another Nike stool. It's like, why does Kentucky and, and Oregon get all the Nike players? We we want something in Florida, too. And you're getting yelled at by coaches. So you're getting yelled yeah. at by everybody, it seems like. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, it's being in the space almost like the Dr. Phil or basketball, right? <laughs> so you're... You're again. You're dealing with everybody's issues, and so you're you're dealing with. And again, to to, to to Billy's credit, he was right. There was an internal relationship, and there were there were um, steps made to to ensure that that some of the kids who were higher on the totem pole, who Kentucky wanted, Kentucky got. Uh, and so that's why I took his message and related back to those that I work for. And if you read the book, you'll get you'll see where the response came back to me. Um, <laughs> because again, you're talking about goo gobs of money being spent and invested into these programs, and so there, there's a need for success. And then you mentioned you like you ran the Jordan brand game and how just to get in that game, there was all this pushing and shoving to get people. You mentioned this Phil Esronis, who we know down here in Miami for the Medicare fraud, but he had a son that didn't deserve to be, you know, in a game and he was getting pushed on travel teams. But more from the, yeah, more from like the Jordan brand game, people just, you said, you know, everybody wants to be in the game, you're getting on the travel teams, all these things that you have to deal with in terms right. of the push from the players and, 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 and really the parents of the players. Parents of the players, coaches, because again, their recruiting is based on their. They they promised a the kid that he can get. They can get him in the game if he signs with their school. Um, you have all of those. That's why I said that the the business of, of, of basketball should be discussed at a, in, in, in great detail. And you know that's kind of why I'm doing interviews like this one. So I'm really appreciative of not only you um, having me on your show, but reading the book and then having some thoughts and feelings about it. And hopefully. You know, I, I, I keep I read things and I kind of giggle, man, because of what I've gone through. Um, I've been attacked in terms of my credibility and the validity of the things that I've said. 
And that's okay. I don't know these people don't care what they think about me. Um, I know the truth. The 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 the, the man that I serve uh, in terms of my religious and my faith, he knows the truth. And so that's all I can do. And if if, if people have an issue with that, then that's their issue, not mine. Well, your book goes through in detail. It's you know we talk about the star players, the Durants, the Zions, and the Lebrons, but also you mentioned like a guy named Big Murph and Marcus Good, players that we don't even haven't heard of. But how much you help them, how they went through college, just by giving them the money, working with their coaches. These are things that you got nothing for. I mean, they didn't become superstar athletes, but you impacted their lives tremendously by just being there and making sure whether it's telling them to stay in school and not fight with their coach, or giving them money when they need money to eat, and those type of things. Those were all good things that you did to help so many other players, not just the superstars like LeBron and Anthony Davis. And that's because it was never about that for me. Again, I was a player. I was never uh, a superstar player, right? And I, was not, I wasn't a household name um, from a basketball perspective. I was a good player and had a good career. Um, and there are more guys like me than there are superstars. And so these guys, and, I, and, and most of these kids don't come from the family structure that I was blessed and fortunate to have had. So what advantages um, can can I provide personally? I still have relationships with kids like Devin. Well, they're not, they're not kids; they're grown men. Now. With guys like Devin Downey, um, who was a star of South Carolina. With guys like Wayne Efajuku, who played at Providence, who's still playing. Uh, Murphy. I talked to Murphy last week. He's on his way to Korea, I think. To, to he's still playing. You know, so those relationships mean a ton to me because those guys know what I've done. Tack Miner in Houston played at LSU. Talked to Tack last week. So those relationships are the ones that mean the most to me because those those guys, because I don't want to call them kids because they're grown men with their own family. But those guys, I've been through the trenches with them through good and bad times and their families, and, and they know what I've done to them, which is why the relationship has withstood the test of time. And then you ended up leaving Nike, took a year off, and then they probably should have done, but then you decided to go work as Adidas as a consultant. And the one story I love in this book is the Zion Williamson story. The fact, I mean, it was when his stepdad sees you and says, I have this, my stepson, maybe you want to watch him. And no one had heard of Zion. No one had seen it. It was not anything. And you're like one of the first people to ever see Zion. You're like, it's almost like the movie Blue Chips when they were going and finding <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal, like in somewhere back in Louisiana. I mean, it was a crazy story that you saw him. And then just even giving his stepdad $100 uh, uh, right at that that's the first time you met him in terms of he needed to get something to eat. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's but that's how the business works. I mean, when guys have, have, when you've built a rapport and a reputation in the business for really, really willing to help people and not having it being a self-serving kind of situation, because I wasn't, I wasn't dealing with those kids to say, hey, man, you need to give me a million dollars when you make That's That wasn't the purpose for me. The purpose for me was to, to again, to pass on the blessing of experience um, and my love of the game and my, my experience, my relationships to the people that were making that journey. I'd already made mine. My playing career was over with. And so how now can I best impact their lives in a positive way, um, whether, it's, whether it was in the NCAA rules or not? It's positive. It's helping these families. If a man is saying he can't feed his family and he's asking for money to eat, would I break a rule to do that? Absolutely. Every day of the week I would because it's the right thing to do. Now, if he's just trying to go blow it and go gamble with it, that's a different conversation. But if this is a genuine, and I know who this guy is, and I've done my homework, say, hey, man, what's going on with this family? And I've had, had my folks in the space who are resourceful because they know they're really struggling right now. They need some help. Okay, how do we help? And yeah. again, it wasn't for personal gain. 
And then you were, you know, you sent him down to a, a summer. He played in the summer league in Atlanta, and then you mentioned that his stepdad and his mom wanted to coach him in a summer league team, and sort of you got they got involved. They got their summer league team, and 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 everything is. But the story about the Clemson. I mean, the fact that his stepdad. You showed how. Clemson was real in on him, and so was South Carolina, and they were both like providing housing at the same time. But they were both paying. I think we said South Carolina was paying for Clemson's house, and uh, the, and the fact that there was an attempt. There was an attempt. I don't know if they ever actually paid for it, but there was an attempt. But uh, I mean, it was. I mean, the question has to be asked. I mean, with all that going around, like you know what you mentioned in the book about Duke in terms of. I mean, I went to Duke Law School, so. Um, but uh, about the fact that he ends up going to Duke, and his his mother ends up working for Duke, and he has a house big house and mansion in Durham, which everybody knows is expensive. So the question is, you know, it's always is, is what, you know, what does Coach K know about what happened with, with Zion's recruitment, that type of thing? Yeah, I, I can't, but Coach K knows or doesn't know, but it is, it is not, it is not out of the realm of what happens in this business um, on, on, a, on a regular basis to say that mom's going to get a job, um, Dad is going to get a job, or there's going to be a, a, a house that's seven bedrooms, and there'll be no rent paying. Uh, I mean, they're going to have two cars to drive. None of that is out of out of the the sphere of reality as it relates to big time college athletes. Um, and not, this is not just a basketball conversation. It happens in football every day. Uh, and so. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I can't speak to what Coach K knows, doesn't know. That's not for me to say. But, you know, again, the, 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 the business dealings surrounding Zion aren't uncommon. I'll say that. You did say in the book, the interesting thing was when you talked to Zion early on, he said, my favorite school is Duke. You know, so everybody was surprised when he went to Duke, but you said when the first conversation you had with him is my favorite school was Duke and I like Duke and that type of thing. So, Yeah, and I think that, that's kind of why I talked about the, the, the Roy Williams visit, you know, the, the, the recruiting visit. Um, and him, I, I was actually on the phone with him that day when they were coming down. He was really kind of perturbed because he really didn't want to go because he had no no desire to go to North Carolina. <laughs> and again, but those are kind of the insights and the stories that I think make the book valuable. And I think, if, you know, when hopefully people will um, get the same, um, you know, get the same out of out of the, the read once they have a chance to, 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 to take a look. And then you mentioned in the book also about Giannis. I mean, that was uh, uh, your just experience with him was was just the recruiting. I mean, you just gave them. I mean, I learned in your book about Giannis things I didn't know. You said, you know, Adidas is pitching Giannis on something. We have to do, you know, we have to do a pitch thing. And you talk about what you had to do in terms of recruiting Giannis into into the Adidas camp. And, and these are things you knew about him. So I thought that was, I mean, I read the book to find out all the little details. But you gave them a checklist of things they had to do. I was, I just love reading that. That was cool. Yeah, it was, so again, man, I've been in this space a long time and I've built a rapport with a lot of people. And Giannis's agent is a personal friend. And so I, I wasn't, again, I was in a consulting space. I didn't have the authority to, to get to a number that was going to secure the deal. What I could do was get as much information, and that's part of the job, getting as much intel um, as you can on a particular player, his likes and dislikes, and try to provide that to those who you're working with or for um, to give them the best chance to be successful. And that's what I try to do. 
Well, and then we just turn now to the investigation and the FBI. And I guess you wrote in the book about Norby Walters, and he was arrested for paying players in 1988. And then the, it was it was reversed because they said, well, there's really nothing, you know, just because you violate NCA rules, it's not a felony or a crime to violate NCA rules. And you mentioned in the book, you went through the whole detail about how this uh, wannabe agent, Kristen Dawkins, who was working for Andy Miller, in terms of the FBI got involved with him in terms of trying to pay uh, coaches or bribe coaches to bring players, uh, those type of things. Yeah, I mean, these are, I never really had a, uh, a relationship. I mean, I, I didn't know these folks. I, I, Christian asked me to attend a meeting with him, um, which I reluctantly went to, and he told me if I went, I'd be paid a consulting fee. Well, when they paid me a consulting fee, they said I took a bribe. <laughs> and so I'm saying, that's not what happened. And so... Let me, and then they said, well, you were bribing coaches. I said, no, I have a, I have wiretap phone calls that you guys were listening to where I specifically say, no, I've been in this business too long. If I ask a guy to show up at a meeting, he'll show up because of the relationship, not because of any money. I'm not doing it. But that call was not allowed into the courtroom. Surprise, surprise. Because again, this, this whole investigation uh, was never about the truth. This whole investigation was about a win or a loss and the government is going to win. And so they're going to do everything they can to win, even to the point where the two FBI, or the FBI agents in our case got indicted themselves and we couldn't put them on, on the stand. And so <laughs> you can't win when you can't put the coaches, the ADs, I can't get my phone calls, I can't put the uh, FBI agents on the stand. As opposed to coaches, they put compliance officers on the stand. So you tell me it's not a, it's not a federal crime to to uh, to overlook NCAA rules or, or to break NCAA rules, but then you got compliance people on the stand testifying against you. So none of it made any sense. But again, when you got when you got people who are in the jury pool who don't understand any of this, and you're you're blocking me from putting forth the truth, I can't I can't win that. I mean, the idea was that Brian Bowen was going to Louisville and money was transferred him for 100000 And then the point is that you supposedly were defrauding, uh, you were defrauding Louisville, even though, and Arizona, even though that you have directions from the coaches. I mean, they they wanted it. You were not defrauding them. You were, help, you know. That, that's, that, was the, that, that, but that was my point about not being able to put coaches on the stand. You blocked me from putting coaches on the stand, but then you stand defrauding the very people that are asking for the help. And you won't allow me to put the contracts with this $160 million or $170 million contract between Adidas and Louisville was not allowed into the courtroom. So you're saying I'm defrauding the people that the company I'm working for is paying $160 million for. None of it made any sense. Why would I defraud them for $100,000 when they're getting paid $170 million? And there's tapes of... I mean, I listened to The Scheme as an HBO show. I mean, there's tapes of Sean Miller direct talking about this, and you could introduce their coaches ta- you know, telling you those were the, the, those wiretaps, which they had. It wasn't like, oh, you had to find information. You actually had that information, and the judges wouldn't even let you, the judge wouldn't let you present it to the jury. Again, it was about wins and losses, but the truth. Nothing, nothing about this case was about the truth. Everything was about wins and losses. And when you've got a judge who says stuff like, you're not going to talk about poor black kids in my courtroom, or I'm going to put a stop to this. He had a personal vendetta because he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the fact that, that these parents and these kids are getting money. He feels like a scholarship is enough. And so he's going to enforce his will and not the law. And so we paid the ultimate price for for his his feelings 
which is dangerous in the court of law. And then you have judges who protect judges. So even when it goes to the appellate situation, judges protect judges. And if he's a tenured guy, he's been around a long time, they respect him enough. Well, that's what he said. And you guys knew it. So it is what it is. And then you talked about there was a coach's retreat that they were wiretapping and all the coaches were in a room. You had, you said Hurley and Self and everyone in there saying, why can't Adidas do more for us? Nike's killing us. And that information wasn't even allowed. And I guess if you're being, if you're being, if your felony was that you defrauded them, they're the ones directing you to do this. I mean, it's not a yeah, defraud. They, they knew that. Nothing about this case made any sense, except for they had some young prosecutors who wanted to make a name for themselves and... This was their entryway into some visibility and spotlight, and you've got judges that help them win their cases, and that's that's really ultimately what, what it ended up being. And the one thing your book presents, and also what Christian Dawkins in, in, the, in the scheme says, is that the money, they were trying to say, let's pay the coaches because they wanted to get bribes and coaches, and you were like saying, that's the stupidest thing. You, the coaches are nothing. We want to, you just, you pay the players and the parents and everyone else. The coaches right. have nothing to do, and it, it's like the FBI was entrapping in terms of pushing that. That's exactly what happened. And even when I said, I said, no, I wasn't going to be involved in it. And they still charged me, even though they knew I said, no, I'm not doing it. And it was on, t- you're on tape saying, don't do it. I put the transcribed conversation in the book. <laughs> so you're on tape on a wiretap saying, I don't want to do it. It's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And you still get charged for it anyway. That's and not just charged for it, convicted of Um. And I guess the question is, is are they under this scenario that anybody who does like, you know, if you give a piece of pizza to a college athlete and it hurts his eligibility, you're suddenly committing a felony in back in the old days. Like if you somehow affected their eligibility in any way, which is like you're using the NCAA rules, not what the real rules are. Right. And that's why I said this was never about the truth. This was never about the law. This was about them winning and losing and protecting their, their business entities and the relationships of those kids, those young prosecutors that brought the case. That's all this was about. Um, and now it must, I mean, first of all, you were doing something everybody else was doing. And now we have the NIL rules. Now under the NIL rules that we have today, it's just wide open. Everybody's paying everybody. So it's totally changed. And it's amazing that, you know, you were convicted, as you said, on on a, on a rule that right now there's a zillion people that are all doing it open and on. You can go on the Miami University website and they have how much you pay for each player to do anything. It's right. Their number is right there on the website. Yeah, I mean, again, and, and what's what's even more interesting is there's no been federal, there's been no federal legislation to change the rule. So if it was actually against the law, there would have been federal legislation to allow NIL. There hasn't been. So I committed a crime, but now you can do it without federal legislation. So where was the federal crime? It was the one. But again, when you when you go against the government and they they're blocking um, evidence uh, and they want to win, they're going to win. Amazing. I mean, what are you doing now? Like, what are, what's your, what's the next step? Have you been involved in basketball your entire life? What is your next step? Your, you know, what with the rest of your life? You're still very, very young. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's still a, a question that'll hopefully pan itself out in the next, you know, few months to to, to year or so. And I'm, I'm prayerful that I've built enough relationships with 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 people um, that there'll be some opportunities for me. But I, I really don't know at this point. I mean, this book, you wrote this book uh, a cup, about a year ago, and then, you, and then you served time, and then you came back, and now you're promoting it. Um, I, I just hope people get a chance to read this book, Black Market. It, it is a tremendous book, and I, I encourage everyone to read it. I, you must be getting great response from, the, from people who are reading it. I thought it was an amazing book. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I have gotten, gotten really good response from everybody who's read it, who's, who's basically come back and said, man, I've learned a lot. And that was the intent. The intent was to 
help educate people on how this thing actually works and, and how those young kids are affected by the rules that are in place and how, and I hate to say it this way, man, because I've never been one who's pointed a finger in a racial perspective, but how white folks make money off of black kids' backs. And that's what this business has been. And the minute we've started fighting or challenging it, you put me in prison. Amazing. Merle, I know you're very busy. I so appreciate it. I, I, I think we're just, we were just saying how I'd love to have you back on for your insight into college basketball I don't, and pro basketball. I don't, there's probably no one else that has the insight that you have and the takes you have on what's going on in the industry. I'd, I'd be uh, I'd be honored to come back and and, uh, and speak with you whenever whenever I can and you know, your schedule permit. And going forward, I mean, I guess the one, my final question is: Do you think that? your story by you talking about this it's going to make changes i mean there is is it is it we already have the nil so there has been changes that way but it should be something to work with in terms of the kids and the parents and everything to understand like what is the whole industry and how it happens that's the hope i mean the hope is that that the more we discuss this and the more pressure is put on uh, our legislators um to to stop the powers that be at the collegiate level from continue to uh, exploit these kids and continue, and again, at the state level, they're, they're, they keep continue to, again, limit um, and put caps on what kids can, can earn and make and what agents can make, but you don't do that with the guys who are coaching. You don't do that. And so why is it different for those young men and young women who are putting their lives on the line every day I mean, you know, I've had I've had two I've had one teammate pass away from a heart attack. Uh, I've had one teammate who just had a heart attack. Um, I've had teammates who've had hip replacement surgery before, from 40 years old. I mean, I don't think people really understand the trauma that your body goes through as a collegiate athlete and the pressures of winning and the, and, and and what you are what you go through mentally uh, as well as physically every single day. And so who, who takes care of that young man or that young woman when their four-year playing career is over with if they're not fortunate enough to play professionally? They take care of themselves after they've made these schools millions and millions of dollars. Something about that stinks. And so you want to put a cap on what a kid can make now understanding that these are going to be lifelong issues that these young men are going out to deal with from a health perspective. They're not, they're not covered from a health perspective after those four years are up. But they're still going to be dealing with those nagging injuries for the rest of their life, you know. So yeah, it's definitely there's definitely more that needs to be to discussed, and there needs to be um, there needs to be some some change um, from 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 the from the legal perspective. Now you mentioned how you stay in touch with there were players that you recruited that suffered injuries and uh, that we never will hear about because they had an ACL tear or whatever when they were 16 years old and suddenly everyone's throwing them product and everything and then suddenly they're nothing and then that you know but you stay in touch with them and we work with them to get in them to college. Sure, I mean that's that's the, that I told you the idea and the objective for me was to help and so if I have a relationship with some somebody I can lean on to try to help a young man and his family. Because the idea is for that kid to go to go to college and, and hopefully get a degree and be a productive citizen. That's that's the idea. Um, and so, if you want to turn me into a villain for doing that, I'm okay with it. I got I got broad shoulders, man. I'm good. I'm good with it. No, no. I mean, it was. I, I just watched the trial and, and was followed it. I'm so glad I read the book and talked to you because I just cannot believe that they prosecute. I mean, it said you and, and the and the other and the assistant coaches and whatever when it when you were the making the least amount of money and not even just trying to help players out. So 
Right. That's all. All it ever was. Well, I appreciate, Mara. I know you're busy, so thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of talking about your book. Again, Black Market, um, one of the best books I've ever read on college basketball. Thank you, sir.